Hey friend, long time no see, and it's so exciting that you're here today because we are going to have an amazing episode with a really good friend of mine named Faith Rivers. Faith is someone who has worn many hats in this industry, and I'm not going to tell you what they are now because we're going to dive into it while we while we talk to her, but today's conversation is going to be really just focused around how do we have boundaries with our clients, you know, how do we protect our peace, and a lot of that also goes along with, you know, how do we make a safe environment for all people within our salon companies? And Faith is one of those people where, you know, we're hanging out in a bar, we're having amazing conversations, and there's so many times where I just wish that there was just a microphone underneath us because we've we talked about so many amazing things. So we finally had to hit record and have a conversation together. So with all that said, Faith, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I, I'm so excited. I I think one of the things that we should just jump right into is boundary setting with clients. So I know that you've been a, you are a hairstylist and you've been a manager of a salon. Why are boundaries necessary in a salon space? Yeah, that's, this is one of the questions that keeps me up at night because even though I no longer work in a salon, I just hear so many horror stories from my stylist friends. And I think it's really important to understand that you know, no is a full sentence. It's no period. And there oftentimes is this fear of, you know, am I going to lose my client because I'm telling them that they can't go blonde in one day? Or am I going to lose clients because I require a consultation before a first time visit? And it takes courage, but tried and true when we put in boundaries for ourselves that protect our time, protect our sanity then our clients do appreciate that as well. And it shows them that we can care for them as well. So, I love that you say that because it's something that I think is really scary. I know that as hairstylists, we're told so often how amazing we are anywhere from five to 15 times a day about how they love us. They even want us to come to their house every morning to do their hair. And then we come to a time where we have to draw draw a boundary. So when we say, say no is a full sentence, do you feel that it like it's necessary to explain further or do you feel like no is, is simply enough? Mm-hmm. I'm a, I was a drama kid in high school. And one of my favorite things to do was do improv. And so, you know, no is a full sentence. And also we don't want to make people feel put off or put on the defensive. And so there's ways to say, for example, using my example earlier, instead of saying, no, actually you can't be a blonde today. We can say, Yes, I understand that you want to go into this level 10, pale blonde. It's going to be beautiful. Let's make a plan to do this. And let's also talk about your at-home hair care and work together. And we can get you there in maybe like two to three months. I love that so much because that that's personally how I love to handle a lot of things. It's like, I love that you want to be blonde. So, you know, in order to be able to do that, we have to do X, Y, and Z. And you have to do X, Y, and Z. And I love that positive spin on it because it's saying no right? But it's also saying, and it's not necessarily no, it's a lot of the time in our industry, it's just not right now. And I love that example too. Yes. And <laughs> it's yeah. so good. Improv improv is such a good communication tool. And I think stylists should learn it more. It's a really good tool to have. Yeah. I really love the idea of stylists actually that are struggling with the banter that you can have with people, like signing up for a, a community theater, like an improv night and, and learning from each other. So when we have these times that we have to set boundaries, we're yes-anding them, but they are not matching our energy. And (laughs) they are saying, no, I want it now. 
how how do you proceed further of like reaffirming boundaries? Because I think it's one thing to be like, you know, no or not today, and then they keep pushing. How do you reinforce that? Yeah, I think it's important to read the client. And this is where it comes to like a little bit of psychology and understanding people in general. If we can have a little empathy and ask questions. And I've, depending on the relationship, especially if they're a longtime client of mine, I can like, let's take some steps back. Let's talk about how we got here. Like what's going on? What brings you in here today? Why do you want to have this kind of drastic change? And I'm sensing a little pushback from you. Like, let's talk it out. And I think, you know, it's important for stylists to never underestimate the power of our empathy. And we are in the salon so often, and we often tend to underestimate the power and privilege that we get as hairstylists to like break that touch barrier. The fact that our clients letting us touch them means that there's a great trust there. So even if they are being a little spicy with us or being a little, giving us a little pushback, I think it's okay to kind of ask some questions and say, let's, let's have a real conversation and let me tell you, you know, why I don't think it's a good idea. So provide some education, but also providing that space to listen, I think can go so far. Mm, Yeah. And I think it's the listening to understand the why behind their pushing back, I think is huge. Um, how do you, how do you check yourself when you feel yourself like heating up? Cause I know there are moments where I've been with a client and like, I can feel my ears turning red I can feel the blood rushing into like my fingertips and my toes. How do you get yourself grounded so that you can do better at seeking to understand instead of being on the defense? Yeah, that's a great question. I many moons ago, I guess in my early twenties, I I had to learn this as soon as I stepped into the salon. Um, I had to learn, you know, because I'm so in tune with a people, and because I like. I'm a very people-oriented person. I can tend to have many triggers about other people. And so, you know, first and foremost, I start out my day trying to be as grounded as I can be. And, you know, that's through, like, active meditation, prayer, what have you, like, whatever is believed, even some yoga, some way to, like, this is my space, and, like, I'm going to welcome other people into my space. That is super powerful, and we should never, again, underestimate that we we have these energy exchanges all day with people. And so it makes sense that, you know, maybe after lunchtime, you kind of become a little ungrounded or your, your your fuse does get shorter. And so I think it's okay to take a step back and take a walk away. Like, you know what, I'm just going to go into the other room and take some deep breaths for like a minute and then come back. And we have color rooms for that. We have break rooms for that. We can tell the client, you know what, I'm just going to go check and see what color I have in stock right now. And I'll just come back or let me just go check and see like if someone can get you shampooed. And I'll come back. Um, and you can always take a step back instead of saying something you will regret later. Yeah, I, I love that you say that it's okay to step away. Um, I don't think that people realize the energy exchange that happens between you and other people. So um, when you're doing that five to 15 times a day, it's a lot of energy being exchanged. So at Summit, we really promote like six-hour shifts, 30 to 32-hour work weeks, really important. A lot of it has to do not only with physical energy, but mental energy as well. So I really love that you, you talk about how to, how to, how to ground yourself. Um, what are some of your favorite ways to ground yourself in the morning? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I actually started practicing Buddhism 10 years ago and it's a, there's so many different types of Buddhism, but this specific one that I practice is called Soka Gakkai Buddhism. 
And Sokagakai stands for, it's Japanese for value creation. And so what it is, is a way to embrace all of the things that humans go through on a daily basis. And so it's recommended. And I personally appreciate chanting Nam Renge Kyo every morning over and over for however long I can. Sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's longer. And what that does for me personally, it brings out more understanding. It brings out more compassion for me. It brings out more courage to say the thing that needs to be said. And then it gives me wisdom because especially in in a business where, again, you're doing that energy exchange with people and you have to, maybe you might have one client who just left their busy kids at home or you have your next client is coming home from work. And so you're just like mm. bustle, bustle, bustle. But to be able to have the wisdom to understand where the other person's coming from is invaluable. Um, but before I, I found this Buddhist practice, I would do different meditations I learned. Now in 2023, we have all these technology like apps to sit down and do a meditation and just visualize. And to me, all of that helps us not be so moved and turned around by something outside of ourselves. I, I think that's incredible. I think it, and I love that you touch on it because it, it's so, it's so, so, so important to protect your peace and also being aware of how does your, how does your energy impact other people too, right? Because it's a two-way street energy and it's really important for us to, to do that. So I want us to shift gears a little bit. Um, your history within the industry, how like how did you get started in the industry and what were you doing like right before you entered the industry and, and kind of tell us that, that origin story a little bit? Yes. Oh my gosh. I feel like it's such a roundabout story, but I went to college for um, journalism and gender studies and I chose the double major gender studies after taking an intro to women's studies class and learning about, you know, the multiple ways in which me, myself as a, as a, as a queer black woman in America, learning different ways that validated or learning different things that validated what it felt like to not belong in a space. And the reason why that's relevant to my hairstylist journey is that learning from different artists and writers like Audre Lorde and Bell Hooks and James Baldwin in college helped me start to internally interrogate, you know, why was I chemically relaxing my hair to be straight? And so after college, it was a recession, of course, 2008. And I was in a few different freelance roles. I was interning at some TV news organizations, which was my original career plan. But they kept, you know, canceling shows left and right and and firing staff. And so I saw a job opening for a receptionist at a local um, salon. It was a brand new salon. It was for curly hair, curly and coily hair. And that same week that I saw this ad was when I decided I was going to shave my relaxed hair off. And I loved that feeling. I've never felt the sun on my scalp before. But as my hair started to grow in, I was like, oh, what do I do with this texture? Like, I've never seen this in my life. You know, I had my hair, hair relaxed really young. So... I quickly learned that, oh man, there's no information in the industry about how I should style and care for my hair. And so I was so excited to see the salon open. And so I went to interview there. After about a year and a half of working as a receptionist there, I left to retry being in the publishing industry or TV news industry. 
got fired again from another role. And then I went to cosmetology school. I was like, no one's ever going to take away my autonomy as far as finances ever again. I'm going to learn how to be a hairstylist, right? Well, I think there's so, there's so much beauty in it, right? Like, you know, we're facing a time right now where things like gender studies are being challenged in my state, Florida. It's, it's happening right now. So it's, it's beautiful to hear, like, all it took was an intro class to, you know, really make you reflect on yourself and your journey and how it indirectly kind of pushed you in the direction of our industry. I think that a lot of us can relate to that and feeling other. And then, you know, I think it, you know, hair is such a great place to be able to find belonging because I think it is, is a really huge industry for us to be able to, to connect with each other. Yeah, I agree. I really think that um, hair is so important. Appearance is so important and it's so easy to say, oh, it's, you know, it's just vanity. It's just appearance. It doesn't matter. But, you know, to this day, you know, when I, I'll never forget when I went to go see Black Panther movie and seeing the little girls in front of the Black Panther posters and taking pictures. That's not something, that's not an experience I had growing up. And I started tearing up. I got emotional, like, wow, like, what is it going to be like for these young kids to see a movie where people who look like them are heroes? Mm-hmm. And so, sure, we can get into vanity, but also, like, let's not underestimate the power of appearance and belonging. Yeah, it's it's that sense of like, and you're we're watching it happen again now with Ali Bailey being the Little Mermaid. It's so true. It's so true. I mean, my favorite movie growing up was the original Little Mermaid. Yeah, it was Little Mermaid when I was five, and so I would watch on VHS. I'm obviously going to age myself. On VHS, <laughs> I would watch the Little Mermaid over and over and over. But then I would do things like I would put a towel around my hair and want to have like the long mermaid hair. Mm. I'm like, oh, you know, I'll get this idea of like, I'll be happy and like, I'll get this happy life if I had this hair that flows like Ariel does. And so, you know, whether or not we understand why someone who looks different should be in a role, I think it's really fascinating to think about, you know, what... Why would this matter to so many people? Why am I seeing these videos on my feed come up where people are crying when they see, you know, this representation on screen? Like, let me just take a step back because at my big age, I'm going to go to see that movie and I'm going to bring Kleenex because I'm definitely going to cry. And I can't wait. (laughs) I can't wait to go see it. So how do you feel like your, your college degree fused with being a hairstylist led you down to the path of joining a corporate career? Because I know like when you and I met, you were originally in, in a corporate role with with a hair care company. You know, talk me through like how, how that those two things kind of came together. Yeah, I think, you know, the common thread or the thread that ties my whole journey together, because, you know, when you and I met, I was at a brand, a hair care brand in the education department with some other licensed hairstylists. And our job was to create content and education for stylists to learn about how to care for different hair textures and shapes and all that. Um, And so I think the common thread between, you know, being at the salon and being a manager and a colorist and doing staff development and mediation, if you will, or conflict resolution, (laughs) if you will, I think what was amazing is that I got to do that on a broader scale and really got to hone in on, again, you know, hair care being an amazing gateway into discussing systems of inequity that make people suffer. And we do it in a way where 
we can build bridges and we can we can help people feel not necessarily comfortable to have difficult conversations, but feel relatable. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, I have hair. I can walk into any salon in America and have my hair done. And so, wow, you're telling me that many people who don't look like me can't walk into any salon. They have to like do all this research and do all of this digging as to like, is this person even going to know how to touch my hair, let alone cut it? Mm-hmm. And just having that conversation alone was just such a gateway because y- you could not talk about teaching curls without talking about, well, why do we have to teach curls? Why isn't all hair just hair? Why is it so different? And frankly, curls are not that different as far as fabric of hair. But because we are so used to working on you know, mannequins in hair school that have straighter hair, all of our theory is applied to straight hair. We just have to learn how to broaden our perspective to apply it to other textures. I mean, that, that's some of the, my favorite stuff of the work that we are doing together is like unpacking all of that. And I learned a ton too, you know, and it's been something that I've, I, I personally as a stylist have been really open to. Um, but I remember seeking it out and then feeling good about doing it. And then getting the client walking in, looking at me, who is like Casper White, and being like, <laughs> You're gonna, you're doing my hair. And I used to get so offended, but then I realized I need to get outside of myself and realize what their experience has been. Either someone that looks like me has ever messed up their hair, or they've just period had their hair messed up somewhere else. Yeah, it can, this conversation can go so many different ways. Insofar as like, if I need to sit someone down and figure out what to do with that person's hair, like, what is my mindset, right? Like, Why do I have to do something with it? Did I start out with a question of how do you like to wear your hair? And what is your goal for your hair? And, you know, I'm guilty of it, too. Like, I will be on the subway sometimes here in New York and see someone is a blonde and maybe they have a little orange. Maybe they're a little brassy. And I'm like, oh, I wish I could just throw some, like, medium blonde ash toner on them. But, like, maybe they want to be warm, Mm -hmm. right? It's something we just do to impose what we think should happen. But as we begin to unpack, like, what is what am I thinking? Where is my mind at? Um, we can become, you know, more empathetic and embrace more people. Yeah, I, I, I love that you talk about that because I, I actually am mediating between a mother and daughter in a salon. Mom loves her curly hair to be very, very straight and smooth. And then the daughter is trying to break free of that and and so watching them play it out and you know the daughter's like you need to you need to wear your hair curly because you need to unpack why you want it straight and then the mom is like you should wear it straight because your hair is messy but I, I look at the the mom and I'm like listen you know she is really embracing her curls and it may not look good to you but if she feels good in it wouldn't you agree that's a good thing and she's like, I guess, yeah, you're right. What are some of the things that you feel like hairstylists should, in general, have a general understanding of when it comes to working those with with wavy, curly, and coily hair? Yeah, that's a great question. One thing that I think is important to just like to level set is that we know as colorists, for example, if we do chemical treatments even outside of color, maybe we perform relaxers or perms or chemical services, we understand that we don't know what's underneath the hair until we get into the hair, right? Until we like get underneath, like maybe lift some levels, maybe, you know, open the cuticle, raise the cuticle and see how if it'll allow us to change its shape. We don't know what exactly that hair will do until we get into it. And so I think it's 
maybe not so much of a jump to say that when there's a person involved in that hair, it's the same thing. We don't know what someone's beauty intention is until we get to know them. Uh-huh. And so something I advise a lot of stylists to do, especially if they're just now getting into understanding different textures of hair or understanding that people would like to embrace their curls instead of straightening them, is start out with style. Start out with a treatment. We don't need to feel like we have to jump right into changes that, you know, we can really do some damage. Because because of, for example, with curls, technically, because of the weight of hair, if we cut off an inch, it can look like the hair lost two inches, depending on how tight the person's curl is, right? And so for some people that might take a year to grow back, for some people it might take three years to grow back. And so that's something you don't really understand until you're doing it a lot over time. And so starting out at the sink or and saying, you know, hey, can I, can I try something today? Can I style your hair natural or can I style it curly? I learned some things at a class that I took. I just want to see what your hair does. You know, I think it'll be really cool. And also it's on me so I can learn. And, you know, I think it sounds like kind of scary because it's like, oh, I'm supposed to know all the things because I'm the stylist and you're the client. But having ourselves open to learn and learn as we go, I think should not be underestimated. And I think our clients appreciate that. I think also, you know, again, going back to seeing what's up under something, seeing what's the reason, you know, I have a ton of hair. And even for myself, when I learned about basic color theory, I would say, oh, my hair is so big, it's coarse. It's hard to detangle. So I need 40 volume to, to like get a blonde. But my individual hairs are so fine that I can get to blonde in like probably 15 minutes with no heat, with like a gentle lift product, right? And so that's something that I like to learn from experience, but that's something you can also learn by asking. Being open to questions. I think that's like my second tip. Asking questions. It's impossible to know everything. And so if we can ask questions and then be open to others asking us questions. I noticed that it took me a while in my career to notice that people were uncomfortable with me asking questions sometimes. And I realized it was that, you know, we are made to think in society that we're supposed to have answers all the time. And if we don't, then we're somehow less than. But it's so great to, for example, be in a salon company and have two to three other colorists trying to solve a color correction for a style, for a client. Like, what a cool thing to be able to do. And you're more than likely to get the client to where they want to be if you collaborate. And so becoming more curious and more, you know, team-based, I think will help us to provide services to people. Again, more people who do not necessarily look like us. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's huge. I think we also have to understand that in our in- industry, there are many people providing quote unquote education when they themselves don't necessarily know. And that can be a challenge because if someone's teaching something I don't know, how am I supposed to recognize that they also don't know? Mm. Let's understand the sources that we're learning from and let's ask questions. Hey, where did you learn that from? What are these person's credentials? Let me go to their Instagram and see the type of client they service regularly. You know, we can do a lot of research and not take these platforms for granted. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's interesting too. just as a person with a following, I'm just like, I'll just share amazing resources because of the platform to share them. And as I learn, and if I do come into class, like, you know, I teach classes regularly, someone asks me a question, I can totally speak to it in a confident way. You 1000% better believe I'm saying faith, 
taught me this. I learned this because I took this class from this person. You got to give flowers wherever it's it's deserved. Like Sam Via always says, I'm not an innovator. I'm I'm just a teacher. I'm here. I'm a vessel of everything I've learned before to pass on to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and don't underestimate the power of you amplifying someone else's platform. Mm-hmm. That can be monumentally that can monumentally shift our industry in a really positive way. One thing that I think too, uh, while we have someone who's been a salon manager before, let's talk about recruitment and how do we make sure that we created a space where all sorts of people want to work for us? What are some recommendations that you have for for recruitment? Yeah, that's a really amazing question because you know, unfortunately, as it stands now, I know a lot of stylists who do services that aren't considered mainstream, which is a lot of texture services, a lot of curly, coily services. And they end up having to go rent a booth or work in a salon studio because working for a salon company, they're not able to fit into the pricing structures, the timing, the whatever it takes to have an apprentice, or if they're buying all their product, why are they giving money to the house for product for overhead? In general, I think it's really important to have a business model where you are actually collaborating with your stylists instead of the salon owner telling me, well, here's what you need to charge for a full highlight. Here's what you need to charge for a hairstyle or here's how you need a book. It needs to be more of a collaboration. And if you want to increase your diversity in your salon staff, you need to be way more flexible and understand that I'm sometimes going to book a haircut before a hair color so that I can see the texture of the hair before it gets wet. And that person might need two apprentices. And what is that going to look like for my bottom line? I'd love that you touch on that because it's it, it's been a common theme in Summit. Flexibility is the name of the game, right? We did not have braiding services outside of like a French braid on our menu for a really long time. And we had a stylist that actually seemed nervous to come ask us to add hourly braiding to our menu of services, but so that she can perform that service. And immediately we're like, yeah, of course. But we were like, we need more information from you. Like, how do you think this should be charged? Let's do some market research. Cause we had to do, we didn't know. And, you know, I bet you 10 years ago, we would have been like, this is exactly how you should do it. You know, but we didn't know better. We were like, what do you need? Oh, you need a steamer. Great. Cool. You know, oh, you need these additional types of products. Great. Well, we need to get those for you. Yeah. And I think one other tip as far as recruitment, really collaborating with local cosmetology schools, because even though a lot of state boards do not require, actually, I do not, I to this day, do, I'm not aware of any state board in the entire country that requires a texture service aside from a relaxer. But what's really amazing is that a lot of cosmetology schools are now introducing texture education to their curriculum. And so, connecting with those schools and maybe doing a presentation or joining a job fair, I think it's really great to get new talent to add to the salon space because for some people who've been hairstylists for much longer, they may not be so willing to do new services or have a different type of clientele, whereas a newer stylist might be able to. Before I ask the last question, Faith, I just want to, first of all, thank you for everything that you're bringing into the industry. I'm excited to see what you do 
in the future with this industry, because I know because of the work you've done in the past, there are hundreds and thousands of people who are better for the stuff that you have helped create and put out there. I know that I am a stronger hairstylist and a better person because of what I've learned from you. So I just want to thank you for, for all of those things. I appreciate that so much. I really appreciate you embracing Sometimes I'm mad science and following my explanations and such. But yeah, I I appreciate the space so much. Thanks for inviting me. Of course, I loved our conversation. But with that comes our last question, which is, what does happiness mean to you? What a wild question in today's world. (laughs) I know. You know, to me, what I've learned in all the spaces I've been in and the spaces of self-reflection and therapy and going back to my Buddhist practice, what I've learned is happiness for me is not being controlled or shaken by things I cannot control mm-hmm. and understanding the power that I do have to, to influence something. Because I think where I feel the most unhappy as someone who struggles with, with clinical depression, when I feel the lowest is when I feel powerless. But, you know, if I can become someone who is unshakable, while still having emotions, we're human. But if I become someone who has a steady foundation and unshakable, then, you know, that's happiness to me. I love that. I've never heard that answer for somebody before, but I love that. So thank you, Faith, so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this conversation, we really encourage you to share it with someone else because these kind of are the conversations of why I ever even wanted to start a podcast in the first place is we need to spread the education. So pass it to your salon owner. If you're a salon owner, share it in your team's you know Facebook group or group chat and rate and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcast or on Spotify. It would just mean the world to us because we really want to make sure that we amplify the messages that we're sharing here. And thank you for listening and thank you so much, Faith, for, for being on the show. 